Hello and welcome to Bullet Points, the podcast all about shooting games. I was asked to introduce this week's episode in an American accent, but have refused to try because I don't want to alienate slash offend the majority of our audience. My name so is Ed what Smith. are we going to do about fulfilling that request from our Patreon subscriber? That's a was stretch that goal. <laughs> the one person who reviews us on iTunes wants us to do... If you, if you back us on our non-existent Patreon, you get to choose which accent Ed well, has I'll, to do. I'll, I'll, I'll introduce the show in an American accent if the both of you will spend the rest of the show in a British accent. Nobody wants that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Bullet Points. This here podcast is all about the shooting games. <laughs> oh, my. Sorry. I told you. Um... Anyway, I grew up in the bayou, <laughs> the English bayou. I'd like the shooting games because in real life, I can only buy 50 guns, whereas in the video games, <laughs> I can have 60 guns. Uh, there you go, you see? Uh, let's trivialize a national emergency. My name Wait. is Ed Smith. Oh, I am God. the host of this here podcast, and my co-host, Reed McCarter, is here. Bollocks. <laughs> well done. Yeah, convincing. <laughs> and my other co-host, Patrick Lindsay, is here. Oi. <laughs> you forgot the you forgot gov. You gotta say gov. Reed, stop being a wanker. That's not <laughs> yeah, I can I can tell what you're trying to do. <laughs> if you just wanker. did that, I'd say, well, you know, you're trying to do a British accent. That's Cheeky. all right. Cheeky. <laughs> Go on, go on, read. Say a complete sentence. Today I ate, I ate a sarni. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Let's... And I wa- I washed it down with a cuppa. A cuppa. Uh, right. A cuppa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Work on it. Uh, no. Well, I, I refuse. One thing that doesn't need working on is the game we're talking about this week because <laughs> it's very, very good. Uh, on this episode, we're looking at a shooter from 1997 called Blood, which is a fantastic title. Uh, the game's by Monolith Productions. We've discussed one of their games here before, which was Fear. Uh, believe it also, or not. Believe it or not, they're also the team behind the Condemned games, uh, No One Lives Forever, and I think most recently Shadow of Mordor. Um, which is to say they've come quite a long way since Blood, because Blood is a very straightforward, uh, almost Doom clone-style shooter where you play... I'm, I'm a little bit confused about the character. He's an ex-gunslinger from the Wild West who became the sort of right-hand man of a demon, and then the demon kills him because he's done something wrong, and then he's resurrected inside a dead body. <laughs> I think Maybe. that's it. Sure, yeah. So you're you're the spirit of an old West gunslinger inside a no. corpse. Hold on, because at the beginning you see him and he looks the same as when he's resurrected. I think that is true. That's so. True. I think, he, yeah, he's like a he's like a 1920s like East Coast gangster or something, isn't he? I thought he was a cowboy. I also thought Maybe. he was a cowboy. I think he's a cowboy who's come back to life okay. after being killed by the demon whom he was serving as a kind of like souls gatherer slash general ne'er-do-well. Uh, and now he's on a revenge quest to find out why the demon killed him as well as his three compatriots and also save the woman that he was uh, associated with as he was working for the demon overlord. It's not Keats. <laughs> uh... <laughs> But that doesn't matter because it's it is pun intended bloody good fun. Uh, so uh, Reed, what did you think of Blood? Was it good of of the pun or of the game of the of both? I uh, liked one and didn't like the other, and all. Uh, okay, all. so Reed didn't like Blood. Patrick, <laughs> what did you think of Blood? I think it's just stupid, amazing, dumb fun. Uh huh. Yeah, it's good. Like it's you a- really like. We don't really need to to dive too deeply into this one, I feel, but we're going to anyway because it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's a a game that I think... uh, This might be something that I said in one of our Doom episodes, either when we did 1993 Doom or 2016 Doom, but there's something about Blood that I like that I can't quite 
put into words. They're almost reduced into words. It's just a game that I, my sort of eyes and ears just like it. Um, yeah, Reed, what did you think? Yeah, it's it's got that um, it's got the feel of of a shooter made in sort of the mid to late nineties. Uh, that is almost indescribable. Like you can you can lock down every part of what goes into it, but yeah, like Doom, it, it has a little something. I, it's not nearly as good as Doom, um, but I like the atmosphere of it. It's it's so I I don't know. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I love kind of like non scary horror, like j- just like Halloween aesthetics, you know. Mm. Um, and that's exactly what this game is. You know, it's these shitty looking zombies who you blow their heads off and then you kick their heads around like soccer balls and um, you know these kind of chanting monks and they're just like gargoyles carved all over the place and it's it's trying so hard to be uh, spooky but it also it has this sense of humor about everything it's doing that is endearing I think non-scary horror is a really really great way of describing blood and, and some other games as well uh I always was thinking of blood as like Beetlejuice or something like that, where it's yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of or, or Ghostbusters or, or or Ghostbusters or maybe Evil Dead or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that you know it's it's a if it, you're kind of trying to pin down the aesthetic, like the first level is inside a funeral home, and then you walk through the door and your character goes open for business like that, <laughs> and someone's written hell on the wall in graffiti and. Um, yeah, it's it's of that sort of like gremlins, you know. It's some, yeah. it's in that sort of vein, and and better for it. Um, it definitely lives up to its name as well. It's very it's very gory. There's plenty of red, uh, and there's a sort of interesting for the time commitment towards weaponry because this is a game where, uh, although it's quite a commonplace feature nowadays, it probably wasn't in 1997 where your guns have two fire modes. Um, which I think mm-hmm. from a mechanical point of view is worth discussing. Now, Patrick, I'm always interested in what you have to say about guns mechanically. So is it because I'm American? Uh, you said it, not me. <laughs> As the American podcaster. Yeah. Talk about guns. Um, actually, believe it or not, that is a distinction I had not noticed, at least within the context of when this game was released, but it is very interesting to think about because that's a thing that even Doom didn't do. Mm. Um, but it really doesn't, I don't know, I feel like it doesn't tremendously add a whole lot of, like, necessary strategy, um, but it's just fun to fuck around with, like, there's really very little difference between shooting a zombie with one barrel of your shotgun and shooting a zombie with both barrels of your shotgun, <laughs> except that it's doubly hilarious when you do the latter. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things I I do like is that it Kind of, like every shooter game, especially from that period, has basically the same weapon set. You've got you know, your shotgun and your more or less assault rifle type gun, and kind of like now. Yeah, I mean, sure, you said it, not me. Um, I like that one of the weapons you use the most often, or at least I use the most often, is just bundles of dynamite. Yeah. Because it's just so ridiculous to walk around and just blow stuff up by throwing dynamite at them. And that's actually one of the few weapons where the alternate fire mode is actually kind of necessary. Um, what was the alternate can... fire mode on that one? So if you throw it, if you just primary fire your dynamite, it'll just throw it and it'll explode as soon as it touches the ground. The alternate okay. fire mode, um, it's on a timer, so you can like bounce it around corners and do neato trick shot stuff with it like that. I see. Hmm. See, I I think that the the weapons here are very dedicated towards um, those, you know, sort of sniggering basement late night. <laughs> Did you see that guy's head come off? Oh, so, absolutely. Right. I mean, the, the the melee weapon they give you is a pitchfork. Yeah, and then you've <laughs> got you've got an aerosol can that you can hold a lighter in front of and use as a flamethrower, um, and things like that. And one of the power ups that you pick up is guns akimbo, so you can dual wield, you know, any weapon that you've got and uh, there's a weapon called like the napalm launcher. Uh, can you get like shurikens? Am I imagining that? Isn't like some sort of throwing star thing? I don't remember. I didn't see him. Mm, maybe I'm imagining that. Maybe that was later in the game. Um, but yeah, there's a voodoo uh, doll that you can get. That's a weapon. Yeah, that's right. I remember that one. Uh, and a Tommy gun, which is yeah. 
just looks and sounds fantastic. Um, That's why I thought he was a gangster. Yeah, that I see what you're saying now. Yeah, okay. I'll have to look it up. Um, but I yeah. can't believe how unprepared we are for this episode, that well, we I... don't have the rich fiction of blood <laughs> memorized. And <laughs> yeah, Have you guys read the novelization series? <laughs> the, uh... I'm really embarrassed to admit I didn't. No, okay. I didn't have time. Have you seen the time? So I, it it was on my my book club's reading list for this month, which is why. So right, yeah. Well, I think that Blood is one of those games that, um, and this is like meant as a compliment, almost not belies, but sort of nakedly is disinterested in like verbose and articulate criticism. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of which is kind of a, a problem for us, I guess, because that's what we attempt on this program. But I think that uh, the, the pleasure of blood isn't necessarily in you know thinking about it too substantially. Yeah, uh, I think that's fine. I yeah, mean, it, this this comes. From, oh, sorry. Ahead. It's like it's, it's a, like Doom. You can sit down and, and really kind of analyze the levels in, in the original Doom and sort of talk about why this is here and why this is there and um, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, whereas Blood doesn't scream that kind of minutia as much, I don't think. Well, it's got the interesting distinction of coming out long enough after Doom where we kind of already know what the deal is. So it's sort of freed from the burden of needing to be, I feel bad saying this, needing to be critically relevant. So you can pretty much just look at it specifically under the uh, the guise of let's let, let's just look at how this plays. We don't have to worry about what this is doing narratively or how this is advancing the shooter medium mechanically. We're just gonna what what does it feel like to play Blood for however long? I enjoyed it every minute. I mean, I know Reed that we were talking back and forth about it on emails, and you kind of said that um, it was a, a slight ordeal because, in your words, the level design was very ninety shooter. Which I agree with, you know. There's some kind of yeah. sections where it's, you, you feel like you're just running up and down the length of a wall, tapping use until you hit the right bit of puzzle mm-hmm. texture or whatever, and you've got to like flip levers and run into another room before the thing closes or whatever. And that stuff is frustrating. And I'm, I'm, I've said this on our marathon episode. I'm very glad that, that you know thinking in level design died because it makes games really just just dull and, and very sort of cold. Um, but definitely more than Marathon, certainly more than something like Duke Nukem 3D, which I think came out quite close to Blood. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I really did. I mean, I could sit and play that game like for, for a lot a lot longer in one go than I could Marathon. I found Marathon a real struggle. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of novelty in the level design of this game, not necessarily thematically, yeah, but just in how they're put together. Totally right. Um, the uh, The train level, which is actually pretty early on, I think is legit just really well designed and a lot of fun to play. Um, mm-hmm. And it really leans into the like dark carnival sort of like ICP aesthetic. Yeah. Well, especially when you get to the, the dark carnival, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is like, you know, exactly the, <laughs> I'm glad you said the ICP aesthetic. Cause it's the same thing. It's like, you know, here are these like twisted jugglers, you know, mm-hmm. it's the attractions are like, what is it? There's like a scary go around, yeah, maybe? yeah, so, something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, Ed, on on uh, sort of being pulled into this thing. I think it the thing that elevates it from something like Marathon to me, uh, you know, and I, I know Marathon is has a has a bit more story going on, a bit more to actually care about or think about, even if it is also kind of primitive. Um, Oh geez, I lost myself. Um, it's it's just the the commitment to the tone that this game does, and how it's always trying to also just throw new things at you. Um, which in a lot of games would come off as kind of desperate, but in this game where it's a shooter and it's okay, you're going to kill these enemies and you're going to navigate a labyrinth. So this time the labyrinth is a train, or it's a boat, or it's a you know a little castle place, and um, that doesn't sound like a lot of variety, but it does. Each place, each level does look, I think, pretty different from the one before. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that something has happened in games where the idea of variety has become sort of bastardized. Uh, 
you know, if you think about the first few levels of blood, it's a funeral home, then it's a train, then it's a carnival, then it's in like a church. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's even, even though it's 1997 with things like sound and little jokes that they drop here and there and little bits of like, well, not, uh, like Patrick said, little novelty sort of scene features, you, you get a really good sense of those places, you know, unlike something like Doom 2 where, you know, downtown only looks vaguely like a downtown area. Um, in Blood, yeah, it, it, it feels like a carnival. It feels like a funeral parlor, whatever. Um, and I think that that is variety in a truer sense to what you might get now where it's not look at all these different places and situations in which you can kill things. It's look at all the tools you can use. You know, I find right. something like Saints Row really insulting because I'm not, I'm not interested in the 500 different ways that I can murder someone i i what i find invigorating is doing it in somewhere new doing it in like max Payne three you know like a nightclub in an airport in a police station or um you know something like uncharted where you're still shooting guys with just a pistol but now you're doing it whilst hanging from a plane whilst running away from a big boulder you know that is variety in a more sort of i don't know mature sense i guess Uh, we're just we're so worried about verisimilitude Mm. that um we're afraid to put people in potentially fantastic not even fantastical because we do fantasy a lot but like non-realistic or quote believable settings and you're right i think it does really detract from what makes games kind of fun to play do you think it's a maturity thing or sort of um just kind of like a preference though like because i always lean toward narrative and atmosphere in games that that's what i want right so if you show me some interesting places i'm going to be more invested than uh you know if you're just giving me a lot of tools but uh, it's to me sometimes it almost feels like left brain right brain kind of stuff because some people are more than happy to experiment with you know just give them a bunch of toys mm-hmm. and let them play around with the variables of of how it works right um and i don't think either approach is wrong i think we've had a, too much of the mechanical approach for too long maybe but i think it largely depends on the player's mindset and also the developer like i'm fine with either just let me know what you're going to do and then just do it. And as long as you do it well, I will be so cool with that. Same here. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a it, good point. At the end of it, I I just want people to sort of do their own thing and do it well. And basically, I think that the, the overarching problem with games generally is that there's too much listening to fans and too much listening to you know um, mm-hmm. other voices. But I also think that when I'm talking about something like Blood and, and Resident Evil 4 does this as well, compared to something like Saints Row, both of which, you know, Blood and Saints Row, both of which are ostensibly kind of wacky and, and schlocky games. Um, what I find mature about something like Blood as opposed to immature in something like Saints Row is, is also the same difference between something like the Saw films and uh, maybe something like Bourne or uh, Indiana Jones or whatever. Because I'm not interested in, in seeing people die or enemies die in different ways i'm interested in seeing them die in different places and in different situations and under different circumstances um i think that sort of getting off just on weapons and just on like death animations is Mm. kind of retrograde in a way that getting off on you know different scenery and different circumstances and different premises is not you see what i'm saying Mm-hmm. So what Ed is saying is how you get off to virtual murder. Is, 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 there's, there's, there are different, yeah, like rungs of, of um, sophistication almost. Um, yeah, I, I, can, I can buy into that. I, I'm thinking about sort of my own feelings on those things. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always careful to, I don't ever want to dismiss something that is opposite to what I enjoy mm. in games um, as being less than in some sense because because it's not my own personal thing mm. um, but I but my gut reaction is I do agree with you you know mm. I think if we did an episode on Saints Row a lot of this stuff would would uh, come to the surface about why I don't know Patrick if you like it but I get the impression that you know, I'm kind of with Ed on. I, I'm not a fan of Saints Row. I am not either. Or just, okay. or just cause. You know, just, just sort of having I, a, like a, I, a set I, of toys doesn't do much for me. 
Well, it's not even that it's just a set of toys. It's that it's a set of toys that is really super fucking into how wacky it is. Like, the yeah. entire premise of Saints Row is, look how crazy this is. Which, yeah. like, self-awareness in small contained doses can be very useful, even, like, from a critical perspective. But when you make that your brand, it actually rounds the bend again and goes back to being disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, yeah. pe- like, the reason I think camp both in film and games and comics and basically anything. I think the reason camp is still so popular is because it's actually really hard to do. Um, there's a pretty fine line between camp and trash. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of like porn. Like I can't really tell you what that line is, but I would, I can look at something that's just trash and say, this is bad versus something that's actually really well execute camp and really appreciate what they're going for. And I, and I know that that sounds nebulous and not particularly critical, but that's, that's all I got. I'm sorry. I've thought about a lot about that because I like bad movies, but not just as, as a blanket statement. You know, I, I like the ones that are kind of inexplicable. Um, but the difference is we probably talked about this in the resident evil episode, but the idea of like the passion that goes into it, like a real genuine affection for the material, mm-hmm. um, you know, so something like, like blood, I think is, I think it's a really, really stupid game. You know, um, but they seem like they're having so much fun mm-hmm. well, when they're doing it. Like it, and it knows it's stupid, but it's not. It's not winking at you and doing the whole. You know, look at us, we're goofy. It's it's earnest stupidity. I think. Yeah. What, what I think is the difference because I, I went and, uh, after playing Blood, I went and downloaded Far Cry Three Blood Dragon, which I think is a game that um, is uh, sort of punting for the same tone and pitch is something like blood uh, even in the you know similarities in the name and I think that what is the difference now as opposed to the time when blood came out is that the, the practice of sort of wacky and campy game design has become practiced and becomes, yes. has become business like so in, in, in the years of like Doom the original Doom and things like Quake and blood um, people were doing this just because they didn't know any better you know this was, this was games in a, in, a, in a more primitive and less business like form and it did well. So now you have game makers who are making games with the same sort of at least superficially sensibilities as something like Blood, but they're doing it, you know, uh, in a kind of like manufacturing sense. You get the sense when you play Blood Dragon, Saints Row, Just Cause, is that it's the result of people sitting around a table and you know, kind of saying, "What, what, what are the kids going to like? You know, how can we make this appeal to the video game audience?" Whereas something like Blood just, it, it feels like this is a, a kind of corny or tacky way of saying it. It comes from the heart. Um, and I think that this is something as well that we landed on in the, the episode about Doom 1993. Um, is that, you know, it was kind of lightning in a bottle. It was, it was something of the time, whereas nowadays it's become a it's become like a genre almost. You know, this is where you get films like yes, yes, Hobo, exactly. Hobo with a Shotgun and Sharknado, because these are the people that have been around to parties late at night and seen people chortling at Evil Dead and zombie flesh eaters and gone, you know, let's make a movie like that. But as soon as you kind of convene on making a movie like that or making a game like that, you've you've lo- you've missed the point. Yeah, you've already lost. Yeah. Yeah. As mm-hmm. soon as you as soon as you make this game, um like like Far Cry Three Blood Dragon, which is absolutely a business decision from top to bottom, as soon as you make it a business decision, it's no longer sort of heartwarming and endearing. It's just stupid. And it's like it's it's patronizing because it's sort of selling you something. I think what? patronizing is a really good word for it. Um, that's a feeling I've had ever since Saints Row decided to commit to going totally off the rails. There was something almost like offensive about it, and I couldn't really figure it out. And that's what it is: is it's they're they're trying to pretend like we don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. It wants you to be as stupid as it, um, which is very very condescending. Um, I think you see that that divide pretty clearly even in when you're saying Just Cause, and I was thinking about that. Like, Just Cause 2, I think, is sort of legitimate camp. Mm. Um, I think it plays itself straight. I think it thinks that what it's doing is cool. Um, and it became very popular because it's ridiculous and because, you know, blowing things up can be fun for a while. Mm. And then Just Cause 3 comes out, and if you've played that, it's it opens sort of kind of showing you this main character like surfing on a on a missile or something you know it's mm-hmm. 
it's saying, hey, we know. Yeah. We know what you liked about this, <clears throat> the story stuff in this last one. Um, yeah, and it's that's self-defeating. It's it's really, I think, oblivious to do that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. And and Blood doesn't have any of that. And I wonder, maybe to some degree, it just didn't have as much to kind of riff on. It didn't have like uh, maybe the same access to things like market research or you know just the same body of games behind it. Um, had Monolith made anything before Blood? That, that is a really good question. That's something I should have looked up before we started. My, my gut instinct is yes, but not a lot. Uh, let me just have a quick look at that. But, um, yeah. I mean, certainly things like, you know, Doom obviously existed back then. Uh, Duke Nukem 3D was 1996? Yeah. Or, yeah, 96 or 97. Okay. And, you know, <coughs> Quake like, was 97 as well. Yeah, so things like Quake were in the making as well. Um, so it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, no, Blood was their first game. Oh, okay. Blood was, wow. Blood was their their first, according to Wikipedia at least. Uh, Blood was the inaugural game for Monolith. Now I know that um, certainly plenty of the people who worked on Blood worked on uh, their later games. There's a, there's a guy called Craig Hubbard who I've chatted to occasionally. I saw his name in in the Blood credits. Um, the blood credits. The blood credits. The literal blood credits. If you pause blood, it's got blood at the top of the screen <laughs> running down Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, it is literal blood credits. Um, so a lot of the <clears throat> same blood ran through Monolith from you know that first game through to like, their later stuff, which I think... You can... Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, I was going to say, can uh, my no, next question would be, you know, do you think that's visible in any of their later work? I think it is, but it's... Uh you know, to, to kind of connect it to what we were talking about before. Mm. Um, boy, I wish I'd played... I, I've played about half an hour of the first No One Lives Forever, and I don't know how you find those games. Um, mm -hmm. But So I can't speak to those, but, you know, Fear uh, and Shadow of Mordor. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Shadow of Mordor, but both Fear and It kind of had the same love of uh, just kind of like splashy, grindhouse-style gore. Um mm -hmm. Even Shadow of Mordor, which I think is is meant to be sort of you know uh, Tolkien and a bit more appreciative of you know the world and blah blah blah, uh, and, and isn't. But uh, the way that you fight in that game, which is lopping off the heads of these characters, and um, it all has that same kind of like gleeful, you know, let's let's throw buckets of red dyed corn syrup around mm -hmm. kind of kind of atmosphere to it. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious about where No One Lives Forever fits into that sequence, if well, it has... See, I, I find Monolith a really intriguing studio, because No One Lives Forever is sanitized, you know, there's no blood. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's a quote-unquote comedy, it didn't make me laugh. Because um, a lot of the jokes are about, I don't know, like, oh, how ridiculous this situation is, and stuff like that. And uh, it's all very kind of like sub-Austin Powers stuff. Um, but you can certainly see uh, like an honest love for the subject matter so you know at, at its best no one lives forever instead of kind of poking fun at itself and winking at the audience it's just sort of subtly riffing on things like the Avengers and the Prisoner um, uh -huh. and you know the sort of Carnaby Street London scene of the 1960s and then you've got something like Condemned which is still a very violent game but in a completely different way to something like Blood. You know, I think Condemned is, is one of the games that, without telegraphing it, really makes you think about violence. You know, it really sort of puts it front and centre, and it, it feels a lot more painful and deliberate and slower than... Mm -hmm. But certainly a lot of the violence in the games, you know, around the time it was released, in sort of 2005. But that's interesting, though, because I would say then that thinking of their their work except for No One Lives Forever, which I can't speak to. Uh, Condemned, because I did get that same sense. I've always said that that's a game where they put it in your face, mm -hmm. that, that you're killing these people. Mm. Um, because you have to punch them or hit them with pipes. Uh, and even when you have a gun, I think it's pretty inaccurate. Well, um, but then they went back to things like uh, you know Further Fear games and Shadow of Mordor, which I think don't care about violence as much as they just have fun with it yeah you know? well yeah condemned is very clearly supposed to make you uncomfortable with what you're doing 
Mm-hmm. Um, whereas fear or this this game, I guess more germane to the point, is taking the opposite approach. You're just supposed to have a really good time blowing people's heads off. Well, I think this mm. is this is maybe getting to the the center of because of, I've not always enjoyed one of this game games, but I, I've always had like a an admiration for them. I think it gets back to something we were saying near the beginning here, which is what you want from games generally is for them to stop being the products of market research, stop being, you know, brand focused. We are the people who make X kind of game. Um, you just want game makers to kind of do what they want in earnest and try to do it as best as they possibly can, kind of almost in lieu of outside opinion. And I think that you get a sense of that with Monolith because they can do something as outrageous as blood. Um, but then, you know, do something quite sober in the vein of the first condemned, and then go back to doing something fairly outrageous like fear, um, mm-hmm. and and do them all pretty convincingly. Like I think all of those games have got a lot, a lot of good things about them. Um, yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to just put that at the header of every every episode post. Is games are good if they know what they're doing, if mm-hmm. if they're made with some some level of conviction. Yeah, I think conviction. Yeah. Conviction is that is absolutely the word. Yeah, conviction in the subject matter, not conviction in the game as like a product. You know, not conviction in its marketability or its profitability. Just conviction in in the actual substance mm-hmm. uh, of the game. And and blood has that in spades. You know, for a, a first game, I can understand why they went with like a, a dark carnival first person shooter because they had things like Doom and Duke Nukem on which to sort of base you know this is this is going to be successful because those games were as well i can understand that but also there's a there's a hell of a lot of conviction and like abandonment in blood well it's some stuff too like even when you finish a level i think this is a hilarious thing to do uh a lot of the jokes are really stupid but this is you know and unlikably stupid for me in some cases Mm. but when you finish a level it's just it sounds like it's a handful of developers uh, sitting around a mic, you know, not a great yeah. mic, just screaming. Yep. You know, or and going like ah, you know, moaning and screaming, and uh, it sounds like every time that happened, I cracked up. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think is something you would do if if you were uh, trying to please everybody, because no. it's it's such a weird thing to to put in there. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's that kind of stuff that I very much appreciate about this game. And yeah, at the same, like, it's, that is a silly, almost kind of, like, dumb addition, but at the same time, I found multiple Hamlet, or not Hamlet, Macbeth references in the game. Oh, really? Yeah. Where were they? Um, there's one, it's an early level, I think it's actually the funeral home level, so the first level, um, and there's a, like, a sink in one of the rooms as a piece of set dressing, and if you go and you use it... He'll say, out, out, damn spot. Oh, yeah. And his voice acting is, he's just a, he's a Shakespearean actor, I think. There's a lot, a lot of ham on that sandwich. That's right. <laughs> but yeah. that's that's the sort of thing that, like, you wouldn't see that in Saints Row, necessarily. And mm-hmm. I, I apologize. I know we've been picking a lot on Saints Row this episode. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have any particular alert grievance against it i think it's just really emblematic of the type of thing that games like blood have evolved into over the past 15 years saints row can fend for itself it's doing all right you know yeah that's true um i think one of the things that that would be worth looking at here is is to try and think about blood in relation to other shooters of the time because the, the the big one that came out in 1997 is gold knight Mm. And uh, Goldeneye was a a seismic shift in the shooter scene. If I was writing this for like a really terrible book, uh, in that it, it introduced objectives. So in things like Doom, Duke Nukem, <clears throat> and Blood, your basically only objective is to get from end of the level, uh, sorry, beginning of the level to the end of the level. Um, mm-hmm collection of keys and stuff in between yeah maybe mm-hmm. but that's like perfunctory and just implied whereas Golden I have things like you know plant the bug on the helicopter or set the C4 or free the hostages and things like this um, which are commonplace now but weren't back then so I wonder you know how does blood stack up against something like that would you 
suggests that objectives and introducing things of that ilk were a kind of uh, I don't know what the word you know was it a, a, a progressive thing was it a move away to maybe something a bit more sort of sober away from things like blood or or what I think it depends on the game um, because I I hadn't thought about that but you're absolutely right the 90s was a it's a it was a very hard time to be a first person shooter just because the pool that you were swimming in was so enormous that you got to do something to distinguish yourself um and I think in a, in a game like GoldenEye, because you're playing a secret agent, having objectives actually makes thematic sense. Um, whereas if you were to try and cram, like, you know, flip the reactor on in the carnival, turn on the tornado ride or something, like in a game like Blood, it would just, it would be silly because the game is already so, I don't want to say like formless and vacuous because that makes it sound bad and it's not. I actually really like its commitment to just dumb fun. Um, and I feel like trying to turn what's essentially a giant, again, no pun intended, bloodbath into something a little bit more narratively cohesive would make very little in the way of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd probably say that I like objectives a lot in terms of, I don't know, what, what you're saying, Patrick. Like, the one thing I'd say is that something like Doom... 2016 uh, did that, right? They have objectives. Sort of. But it is different, right? Because you Each are objective kind of... really only boils down to get to the end of the level. Yeah, that's true. But it still does kind of shape your trajectory a little bit better, maybe? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in the sense that you can't really get lost, both because the levels are a little bit more linear and also because you sort of know what you're supposed to be doing. Like, I'm supposed to be going to this giant tower to flip on the whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I think I, I think if you're kind of teasing toward Ed the idea that maybe there there's a a kind of precision and a sort of uh, that objectives almost kind of funnel you toward these kind of military style games. Mm, that's exactly it. Yeah, is I I, I don't know for sure mm. about that. It does make a lot of thematic sense though, because you know, like you like you guys are saying in Goldeneye for a spy to have the objective, you know, plant explosives here, uh, you know, exit over here, you know, find this person and free them from this jail cell. Uh, That is, like, you know, a a very military thing. Like, even mission is a very, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, military term. So it works for a Call of Duty or a Battlefield. Mm. I think that the first-person shooters changed much more regularly uh, and were a hell of a lot more varied in the 90s than they, than they have become. It, it less so now, I think that we're, we're actually kind of leaving a, an era of first-person shooters. I think that the, the military modern warfare uh, sort of replica shooter is, is steadily disappearing, um, or at least I'd like to think so. But in the 90s, I mean, you had things like Doom, you had things like Quake, then you had things like Blood, then you had things like Goldeneye, but then you also had things like Medal of Honor. And mm-hmm. Right, you know, yeah. There is, there is just, you know, they they're all shooters, but you know, one set in hell, one set in, like, on the James Bond universe, one's a war shooter. Whereas now it's all kind of variations on the war shooter, uh, except for something like Doom, um, two thousand sixteen. That is. Um, well, yeah, um, I think. Oh, sorry. Well, that that's pretty much the end of the point. I was just going to say, I, I wonder if there is something. I'm trying to kind of tie this all together and I might struggle to do it. But we're talking about, you know, um, wackiness in games and sort of craziness in games. And I wonder if there was something about game making itself in the 90s uh, that engendered genuine wackiness and genuine experimentation in a way that game making today just can't possibly do. I would say absolutely. If, um, if you're being experimentative in experimental, sorry, today, it has to be you have to basically know the results before you even start. Right. Well, yeah, like, before we... Did I cut you off, Patrick? No, go ahead. I was going to say, like, before we started recording, when we were talking about uh, sort of technological progress in games Mm. and the the amount of uh, just workers you need uh, and how expensive game development is, uh, continues to be when you have these larger and larger staff sizes. I think... You know that maybe that's a simplification, but 
um, you know, you, you read a Masters of Doom, and they were making uh, they were making these games with how many people would you say, Patrick? About twelve. Yeah. So I mean, you have like. Also, the development cycles were much shorter. Like, Doom was made in a year, um, nine months, something like that, which would never happen today. I know that Siphon Filter, which was, you know, AAA release for its time, box release for the PlayStation, you know, high-end graphics, that was like 25 people. Yeah, so compared to, um, you know, the possibly hundreds of people who Mm -hmm. are, are working on something now, you know, there's, I think you have to have, nowadays, it seems to me, you have to have better organization mm-hmm. uh like uh you know this not necessarily saying all this is evil i think it's just a reality when you have yeah exactly you yeah. have to have stricter departments i know there's a, a big trend happening in development now where try to erase those boundaries a bit more to make more cohesive games but you know you're gonna have to split people into more discrete teams it's there's more money at stake uh i mean which means the- there's more people poking their noses in right and the fact is, when you have video games, some of which have budgets equal to or greater than the GDP of some countries, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, that's a good you, way to put it. You can't really afford, and I say afford in every sense of the word, there to just kind of let people do their thing. And it's it's a sad reality. I don't like it, but I I understand it. Um, which is why a game like Doom, which at the time it was made, would never have been picked up by a publisher. Um, they just sort of did it, and it worked, and they just went from there. But if you were to try and pitch something as off-book today as Doom was in 1992 when they were making it, um, there's no way, because there's there's too many too many cooks in, in that kitchen now. So I think that this is, this is where, especially in the, the, the box and the mainstream... Um, game production cycle. This is this is why experimentation and wackiness and schlock or whatever you want to call it. Uh, th- this is why it's died because I mean those things can only exist now if they are a safe investment. And mm-hmm. being a safe investment is the antithesis of being experimental or being sort of heartfelt or you know being convicted. Now, one thing that I'm getting way off of blood here, but just something as a counterpoint. You know, we have this burgeoning independent gaming scene where people can get things like Unity or get things like Game Maker or, or whatever. Um, and there are probably a very great number of people, a very great number of people, making games by themselves from very small teams for little money and little overhead. Um, but rarely do you seem to get shooters out of that scene. Um, I think the independent gaming scene has still got a slightly uh, protestorial streak in it. Yeah, uh, and is is determined to do anything but shooters because you know shooters have become the sort of identity of gaming, and it's an identity which some people find uncomfortable. Which I, I no, think that's a shame. Myself. Yeah. Not only are they ubiquitous, but I think there's also this association between shooters and not anti-intellectualism, but like anti-culture almost. Mm. Um, like there's this sort of Neanderthalic quality that we that we ascribe to shooters. Probably not helped by the fact that the uh, capital M scare quotes media representation of the genre has never been charitable. And don't get me wrong. I think that seeing more games that don't have guns is fantastic because the medium is basically infinite. Well, it's infinite potential and we're, we've been channeling that laser beam down a very, very, very tight corridor, which has it's worked, but it's also I, I for one would love to see what else is out there. But I think I don't know. It's the the Hegelian synthesis thesis, whatever antithesis thing. I think the pendulum is just in the point where it's swinging back as far away from that as it can. And mm. I think, as you mentioned earlier, Ed, we're starting to move away from the the paradigms of today's shooter market. And I think also we're starting to see that in the indie scene as well, which is why we have games like Hard Reset and. Tower super of hot. Guns and Serious, yeah, Super Hot, Serious Sam. So, most of which, are, admittedly, are not great, but at least people are starting to kind of poke their heads back out of that rabbit hole again. So I'd, I'd love to see the the more brainy shooter, but but still a shooter, you know, not brainy, mm-hmm. but kind of well, that's patronizing spec ops. Yeah, and well, that's Doom, basically. 
Doom 2016. It's a, it's a it's a smart shooter, and that is yeah. a shooter that is made very, very well. Yeah. Well, how much of this stuff, too? I mean, like, Patrick, when we were talking about, you know, when we started working on Shooter, like the anthology, mm-hmm. um, a, a lot of it is almost, a, you know, the idea that shooters are kind of bastardized, or, or not bastardized, they're demonized by, by media and even by people who like games a lot. Um, as as being this kind of uh, almost intellectual wasteland, you mm-hmm. know, just being like, hey, if you're playing a game where there's a gun in the lower right hand corner of the screen, it, it can't say anything, mm-hmm. you know. It almost feels like kind of the, it, it's like the you know whatever immature insult or something is go back to playing COD, you know, yeah. go back to yeah. playing Call of Duty, the COD uh, bro phenomenon, yeah. But there's something really. I, I'm I'm so much on board with what Patrick was saying about how I'd like less games with guns because we just we have too many. It's and I, I love shooters. Uh, I think we all do, obviously. Um, but yeah, you want more exploration. But I think the shooter gets written off a bit too easily. I um, also think a part of that stems from the fact that we're so I say we in the the royal sense, but also just like you and I read and Ed. Um, we're so eager for games to capital letters say something that anytime they don't necessarily have that as a mission statement, we see it as a betrayal or as a step backwards. Mm. Which um, doesn't have to be the case. No, yeah. and I think it's perfectly okay for a game to exist that doesn't really care about presenting a treatise on a given subject and is just comfortable with being really well executed. Just like Indiana Jones is not an intellectually stirring movie. It's just a really well-made action movie. Like, that movie, or I'm talking about Raiders, by the way. Um, fuck Temple of Doom. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark is like a fucking clockwork action movie. And it's, I think that's why it's so good. And smart because of it. You know, it's it's yeah. intellectually stirring in a, sort of, in a different sense. Well, um, maybe that's maybe that's part of, uh, maybe that's an optimistic sign with, um, I, I keep thinking about Doom 2016 and it feels like a game that we're going to feel the kind of shockwaves from for a few years. Well, um, I, I was fortunate enough to talk to two of the people who directed that game uh, mm-hmm. last week, mm-hmm. and one of the things that they said was, when we were building this, we had in mind that we we wanted it to be a, a sort of historical blip on the radar. You know, we wanted this to be a, a, a slight watershed moment, um, and I I agree. I think that they've managed that. I I, I agree with you, Reed. I think that it it, it might sort of instigate a, a change. The other thing I was going to say though, I mean, in, in response to <clears throat> what we were talking about a minute ago, is that this idea that a game, simply because it contains a gun, is, is therefore bereft of um, any kind of interesting intellectual or thematic compact, I, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, I'm, I'm slightly of the, the school of thinking of a, a French film director called Jean-Paul Belmondo, Sorry, no, that's the actor, uh, John Luke Goddard. My apologies, John Luke. Did you Goddard. even go to film school, Ed? I know, I know. Shh. Bloody hell, uh, <laughs> John Luke Goddard. You said um, the only thing you need to make a good movie is a girl and a gun, and I think that there's there's actually you know far from shooting games being you know, arid, I think there's no more sort of dramatic and potentially up for debate action in games than, than aiming and firing a gun you know what I mean I think that that is the most provocative thing you do in a video game you shoot someone whether the game intends for it to be or not um, I think that shooting games are the most worth discussion and the most inviting of discussion so yeah I, I think it's a shame that that seems to not be the case to a lot of people yeah, I know a really good book you can read that kind of explores this <laughs> idea. So different ways you can... Well, yeah, and even as, as again, I say I agree with Patrick about, yes, I, I want more games where it's not just shooting, just because I like games and I want to see them explore, you know, the vast potential. There is a lot I think you can still do in the shooter, and, and that hasn't been done that would be fairly profound and, and interesting. You know, it's like Ed. I know you've talked about this a lot, but the idea of the the dramatic potential of the gun isn't isn't used. Um, just as I think in games, a lot of times the it's it's so strange to say this because it's so not 
doesn't square with with life, but the dramatic potential of death in, mm-hmm. in games is not often used. Nope. You know, the gun is is mundane in so many games, but it it can be powerful. You know, even the act of pulling a gun on a person in our you know quote real world is so incredibly severe and extreme. Yeah, and in ninety five. In 95% of shooters, you start with a gun glued to your hand. And you right. can never put it away or pull it out. You know, um, The only thing I can remember thinking positive about, uh, there's a game called Home. It's uh, I think it's on the PS4 now, but it was originally a mobile horror game. And there's a part at the end of the game where uh, you're in a kitchen, and one of the sort of choices it presents is, do you want to pick up the gun or not? Um, and it's not because you, you're going to use the gun, it's because you think that there might be somebody in the house who's killed someone. And mm-hmm. you can either pick up the gun to defend yourself or leave it on the table in case the the police implicate you in the murder because you put your fingerprints on the gun. Mm. And I thought, well, this is like the only time in a game ever where picking up the gun has actually been a choice. You know what I mean? Where it's actually felt like something I have to decide upon. Because when you see a gun in a game, you, you collect it straight away. Um, mm-hmm. Even You don't even have to press a button sometimes. You just walk over and it instantly appears in your hand. Um so yeah absolutely the act of shooting death all these things which are are everywhere in shooting games have just kind of become um, gravy to everybody they're they're, they're just not acknowledged and I think that's a pity but the the, the question is and this is relating us back to Blood are games like Blood Quake Doom etc which made shooting and gore into light heartedness and comedy are they to blame for the way that we regard shooters now? Do we regard shooters as kind of low art or not even, you know, entertaining? I know. I wonder because I think in a really, you can definitely make the argument that yes, they are, but you can make the argument that smoking marijuana will make you a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, just it in did terms for me. of. <laughs> that's right. We have to wrap this up soon. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just that the first step will always be kind of the first step. It's, it doesn't mean you have to necessarily follow a a given path. Um, think, think about what was going on in action movies in the eighties, uh, these hyper-violent action movies, uh, and, and horror even with slashers and everything. And then you move into the nineties and the, you know, the last decade and, and things almost in reaction to it kind of pare down, uh, Mm. and try to approach these excesses in, in a different maybe more reserved questioning kind of way mm. um, that I think we have just kind of you know got to in a really sophomoric way in the last couple of years with shooters um, but yeah so in some sense I don't know maybe that's a meandering answer but in some sense I think yeah there there is a, a direct ancestry there but it's I don't know it, it didn't have to be that way I think as much as it's maybe the cause of people or, you know, the, the gaming mentality in general disregarding shooters, it also provides the gaming mentality something to bounce off of. Yes. Um, and you're yeah. totally right about movies. I mean, we've reached the point in action films where you have something like the, certainly the original Bourne trilogy, which are like, extremely liberal action films because he's going up against like the US government, you know, the sort mm-hmm. of shady, corrupt forces in like corporations and, and things in, in America rather than in the nineteen eighties where it was, you know, communist Soviet Union or South America or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that transition has definitely occurred in films and I imagine it will in games. Um, well it's also worth noting that and there's there is a conflation. A game like Blood or Quake, um, not so much Doom, but games like those are are toys, not in the pejorative sense, but in the sense that they are designed to give you a task to complete or a challenge to overcome, which is why they're so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And we're still, I think we have internalized that design paradigm without really acknowledging how it's changed. Um, so we, we're still making toys effectively, but we're trying to make these toys be culturally significant and meaningful. And I think that's, those are the games where you get the most friction. Yeah, that's the, that's the whole. I think that's where we are just kind of exiting at this point is the, you know, the spec the spec ops school of Hotline Miami, Bioshock, 
of of only being able to tell a story within a framework of what has been, as you said, internalized as the way that games are. Mm-hmm. You know, games are violent. Games are, you know, your objective is to physically remove obstacles to continue on your way and blah blah blah. Like you have you have a game like Bioshock Infinite that you know bless its little soul was trying to and I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt here in a huge way, but was trying to say something about race relations or, I don't know, quantum physics or whatever the fuck. But um, <laughs> no a, one... That's a great... Sorry, that's a great summary for a game. A game <laughs> trying to say something about race relations or quantum physics or whatever the fuck. <laughs> should have been on the box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, though, I mean, you look at, you look at that game um, and you look at its presumably stated objectives and i don't think anyone ever said like why are we shooting people like why does this have to be a game (laughs) where the primary interaction is going from point a to point b and shooting things and i that was a question that i i honestly don't think was ever asked because that's just what games are yeah for us now yeah well that's why it was such a seismic shift to have you know a a something like a dear aster come out you know or uh you know the whole i we need a better term than walking simulator. I don't. Well, that's what, that's why the term exists is because we honestly don't know how to. Well, yeah, it's mentally this... taxonify games that that break from that yeah. kind of toy based paradigm. Yeah, and people saying that these games, you know, the whole question, which I think is really disappointing that it ever has to be asked of, is this a game? Because you know, is Gone Home a game? Because you're you're walking and and reading things. Um, f- fucking of course that's a game you know I actually i was having a conversation on twitter the other day um and somebody said that gone home didn't have gameplay which yeah that's another one of those baffling to me yeah that's... because I, I don't know well if we're talking about like dear esther or gone home and what you'd call them i call dear esther a ghost story i call gone home a drama you know yeah, I mean? rather because the problem, the reason people call them walking simulators is because that they've they've gotten used to defining <laughs> that by what you do. That's another point I, I was talking about on Twitter: is we we classify games based on the action that you do versus what they are thematically. Um, whereas yeah. in movies and film, you have comedies, you have romantic comedies, yeah. you've got dramas, you've got you know sports movies. Um, in games, you have shooters, regardless of what you're addressing or what you're talking about. Uh, Spec Ops the Lion gets the same taxonomical identifier as Doom or as Blood, just because it's a game where primarily you shoot things. And I think that is a really, really, for lack of a better word, bad way to do it. Yeah, and I think luckily that, you know, I'm I'm like someone just like waiting for the world to end. Like, I, I can't wait till all that stuff just falls mm-hmm. apart because it's becoming, I think, harder and harder for people to to figure out how to categorize things anymore. And to me, that's a good sign, you know, categorize. If you want, if you want to categorize something, categorize it by, you know, sort of tone and intent, like Mm in, in film and and books, like, you know, something's a comedy or it's a, you know, an action thriller horror, uh, not, not by what's, what your, what your form of interaction is. So by, that rationale, blood is not a shooter. It's a horror comedy. Yeah, I, I, I think that is. But that's way more a, instructive, right? It is exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, hey, if you like, I don't know, if if you like an Evil Dead movie or sort of a, a camp slasher from the '80s, you'll probably think this is entertaining. Well, on that summary, I, what? I, you thought I was going to say bombshell? On I was that, hoping. But that was the that is the that is in itself the bombshell. The fact that I didn't say bombshell, I said so. Wrong. So but on so on that bombshell. Uh, I see what you did there. Thank you. I I think that we've we've covered not just blood, but quite a lot of other things as well. We are covered in blood. <laughs> you could covered say in the gaming industries of various fluids, internal <laughs> fluids, viscera. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so given that we've managed to 
talk an hour based on having i don't think any of us actually completed blood all the way did we no not even close not for this one too hard that probably tells you that it's it's a it's a game that makes you think about things if nothing else (laughs) um and it's also a game yeah in which you can blow off an enemy's head with a sort of shotgun and then kick it into a grave uh my favorite get you a game who can do both exactly exactly well my favorite Real, oh, I was going to say, realistically, though, when you play a game like Blood, like uh, it's hard not to think about kind of shooters in general. Yeah. If you think about, why do I like this aspect? Why don't I like this aspect? Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think that those ones from the 90s, especially when you play them now, are some of the most thought-provoking. Um, and I think that maybe in you know, 10 years, it will be very, very interesting to, to go back and play Modern Warfare or, um, you know, Gears of War or something to see mm-hmm. how they how they brought us to where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another way of saying gaming needs to maintain its own history better and not burn it down as it goes. What are you talking about, Ed? There's, I played Gears of War remastered on my personal computer. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah okay. Okay, Gears of War. That's that, that is less than ten years old, just about. So that's fine. Ed, what are you talking about? Did you see that Nintendo is putting out this little old Nintendo, and it has a bunch of Nintendo games in it? You can buy it for sixty dollars. What? What Nintendo games has it got? It's got like Mario and Zelda, Tetris. Oh, I've heard of those. I've played a Mario and a Zelda and a Tetris. They're doing a Sega Genesis little one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? That's how we preserve history in this you package it and resell it to people born from a pile of money it will die in a pile of money people are going to buy that thing they're going to play it for 10 minutes and go oh actually this is not anywhere near as enjoyable as i recall and that turns out zombies ate my neighbors isn't actually a very good game yeah oh you know what rather than playing the original mario i think i'd rather go and play overwatch and that'll Hmm. be that'll be it but they've already bought it Anyway, anyway, this is just general uh, malcontentedness. Oh, you all know what you signed up for when you listen to this. On to hour two. Let's talk about Nintendo. <laughs> let's, let's review every Nintendo game. I don't think we've ever done a Nintendo game. I think the first Nintendo game and probably the last that we'll do on here will be Goldeneye. Or maybe Perfect Dark. Um, I would... Perfect Dark is... I don't count that as a Nintendo game. Yeah, I mean, they're on Nintendo consoles, but that's about it, isn't it? As long as we never do that Metroid Prime. Do Splatoon. Hey, Splatoon. Hey, let's get a mini review in here. It'll take uh, 10 seconds. Here we go. Splatoon is a very good way to use a Wii U. Thanks, Reed. Uh, Patrick, have you got anything you'd like to review in miniature since we've got the mini NES, the mini Genesis? <laughs> mini um, no. I Actually, I'm still baffled by how accurate Reed's Splatoon review was. That's right. Well, I would like to uh, offer a mini-review of a brand-new website uh, <laughs> hey. under the name Bullet Points Monthly, which has recently launched. I wouldn't say launched today, because by the time people listen to this podcast, it will be recently launched, as opposed to launched right today. Uh, if you go to www.bulletpointsmonthly.com, you will find the sister site to Bullet Points Podcast. There we are going to be reviewing one game every month and dedicating four articles an entire month of coverage to a single game uh, written by myself reed patrick and one lucky freelancer um we're starting off with red dead redemption and uh by the time this podcast is out there should be one or two of our articles up there to read i, um, I think the second one will be will be a day or two after this episode goes out. A day or two after this episode goes out. Okay, so, yeah, please do look at the website, bulletpointsmonthly.com, and uh, disseminate it between your friends using the various internet channels. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can also follow, now, not just this podcast, but also any news about Bullet Points Monthly, or BPM, as we like to call it, at bulletpointspod on Twitter. Uh, Reed, you're on Twitter. That's right. I'm still. I just wanted to say that I'm still mad at BPM for uh, the Mexican Gulf oil spill. Are you guys? <laughs> I yeah. That's why I'm actually not going to be going to bulletpointsmonthly.com. Oh, bulletpointsmonthly.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was British Petrol 
Mexican golf. Thought that's what it stood for. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at Reed McCarter. I'm going to be tweeting about uh, tweeting about bullet points monthly for the next while because I want people to read it because I so, am excited for it. So so am I, Reed. Thanks. Yeah. So me too. Patrick, are you excited about it? And are you on Twitter? And will you be tweeting about it? <laughs> I am all of those things. Um, I am on Twitter. You can find me there at Han Freakin Solo, where I will be incessantly talking about probably bullet points monthly for the next six years. Yeah, um, good. <laughs> and I do encourage you not only to check out bullet points monthly because honestly, we're we're really excited about it, but to share it with your friends, anyone who you think might enjoy a. Uh, a deeper, longer look at games. We are going to try and keep it current in terms of coverage, so uh, mm-hmm. if at all possible, we'll be avoiding talking about 20-year-old games, regardless of how good they are. Yeah, we'll keep the podcast for the older stuff. Uh, the website, we are going to be trying to do the month's biggest releases, uh, providing we can get our grubby little free <laughs> freeloading hands on them. That's why I became a game journalist, a games journalist. For the free, for the free games. Yep. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at most sincerely Ed, and I will also be tweeting incessantly about bulletpointsmonthly.com and the BP oil spill. <laughs> uh, until then, until we see you on another episode of this podcast and on our new website, bulletpointsmonthly.com. <laughs> Just drop that in there one more time. Uh, I've been Ed Smith. I've been joined by Reed McCarter. Bulletpointsmonthly.com. And Patrick Lindsay. Which stands for bulletpointsmonthly.com. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time, bulletpointsmonthly.com. 